Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining me today on Let's Talk Torah. I am Lee from Blood of Lamb Ministries and from Heart of the Tribe. I thank you all for joining us. Uh, it's such a blessing to have you with us today as we study Yah's Word. Last week was the first installment of Let's Talk Torah. I thank everybody who watched us. Shell Wagner was last week's guest, and I felt like all of us, myself, Shell, and everybody in the comments contributed to a very fruitful, fruitful study. This week, I'll be having my beautiful, wonderful wife, Catherine, trying to help us with the comments. So thank you, Catherine. Last week, you were all bringing such wisdom, and unfortunately, I was struggling to keep on top of it. Now, today, I have a very special guest with me. For any of you that were able to watch this week's Mercy Poured Forth, this, week, this Wednesday's Mercy Poured Forth, you will know that this man has such a heart for y'all. If you didn't see it, I truly recommend you watching it after this show. So with that, I would like to welcome my guest, Robert Wagner. Shalom. Shabbat shalom, Lee. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you. I'm very, I'm very excited for today today's study with you. And um, as we were speaking before, I feel like me and you have both got a similar upbringing and similar background in the word. You know, Catherine and my wife, Catherine, and your wife, Shell, are both grown up here, are both very artistic and both know the word very well. Whereas for me and you, it was both very different. Uh, absolutely, Liam. Aren't we lucky to have such wonderful wives that we have? We certainly are. Praise yeah. y'all. Praise y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And these women that saved us, saved us from the system, saved us from this, this world and brought us to the truth. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, y'all. Yeah. So today we'll be looking at Pinchas and we'll be carrying on from last week. Um, we ended last week with the people cursing themselves in the camp. And we can see how sin can be like a virus or a plague, how it can spread from one person to another person, destroying and corrupting all those that come exposed to it. And we can see how it can just take one person to stop it. So look forward to that. Thank you, Rivka. Shabbat shalom, Rivka. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, James and Lee. And before we start, I'll mention this at the end of the show, but this Monday at 3 p.m. EST, on Heart of the Tribe YouTube channel, Lee and James Carruthers will be interviewed. Now, Lee and James Carruthers are bringing a new show this Thursday called Between the River and the Ravens. And if anybody was watching our show on Blood of the Lamb Ministries last night, you would see that both Lee and James are filled with so much knowledge and wisdom, and they brought some, some great words to us last night. So really looking forward to that. So they'll be getting interviewed with Shell. So they'll be joining Shell on Monday at 3 p.m. EST. And on Wednesday, uh, Shell will be with Chris Mack, who is bringing another show to us. And that'll be on Reports Under the Desk at 1 p.m. EST. And that'll be on Heart of the Tribe YouTube channel. So we'll mention them again at the end of the show. But So keep an eye out for them. Subscribe to the YouTube channels. Click notifications for when these shows come up. You know, Shell, everybody at Heart of the Tribe is doing such tremendous work at the moment to bring us such uh, such great studies and just looking forward to it all. So with that being said, I will get my screen up with our show today. Now, 
Let me just wait a second. So is that it? Yeah, that is it. So today, as I mentioned, it'll be Pinkhas. Pinkhas. Try my best to say it. Um, now these these Torah portions are from the Et Zephyr, and uh, at the bottom there, I know some people are on a different Torah portion, so that's why I've put uh, Yehokanan at the bottom there, because some Torah portions have the Bessera as Yehokanan chapter 2, 13 to 22. Now there's quite a lot today in this Torah portion. We have, um, we go through the counting of the, the numbering of the tribes, and we go through the offerings. So when we get to those, we will read them, but we might not be able to jump in so much detail into those because we've got so much to get to. So we will begin. So first one look at is who was Pincus? He was the son of Eleazar the high priest who stopped the plague. And his name comes from H6372 Pinchas. And I know that Shell looked at this the other day on her show. So when we look when we look at the definition of it, it says it actually means mouth of brass or mouth of a serpent. That hash, the hash can either be brass or the serpent, which is quite interesting. So when we break this name down, you see it's a pay, which should be mouth open to speak or to scatter. Be the yod, which is the arm, work, praise or worship. The nun can be seed, air, continue, life or sun. And the het can be the wall, the fence, or separation. And the Samek can be support to protect, thorn, grab, or hate. So we all have different interpretations of these, but when I was looking at this, I came to this the other day. We were scattered, but through his work, we were given life from being separated and gathered into his protection. And you can see a prophecy here, really, of Yahushua and what he does and what Pincus himself actually did. It was through his work that he stopped that plague and saved those people who were separated from Yah through their sins. Now, the lineage of Pincus. We see in Exodus 6.25, and Eleazar Aaron's son took him one of the daughters of Putiel to be his woman, and she bore him Pinchah. These are the heads of the fathers of Livim according to their families. Now, this is the only time that we see this name. And I did a lot of research on this, a lot of research, and it's believed. Oh, thank you very much, Shell. So I can't see all the um, the comments. So if I don't comment on you, I, I do apologize. Uh, I know Rivka, I, I love it as well. I love jumping into those names and just looking into the, to the Hebrew and just breaking it down. You get so, so many beautiful pictures in there of Yar and Yahushar. It's wonderful. So with this Putiel, um, I was looking, and it's it, the only time that name is used, and it's um, it's actually believed that this was Yithro, Joe uh, Moses uh, Moshe's father-in-law. That's what they say, um, and they say that he actually had five to seven different names throughout Scripture. So that's. Um, that's one thing. That's that's something I came across. And, and we have an example of this here in Exodus. In Exodus 3.1, it says, Now Moshe kept the flock of Yithro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of Elohim, even to Korev, 
But then when we look at the previous chapter in 2.18, it says, and when they came to Ruiel, their father, he said, how is it that you are come so soon today? And that was the daughters that Moshe met at the, at the well that he later married. Um, so it, it does seem that this could actually be supported in scripture that uh, this, this Putiel is actually um, Yithro, uh, Moshe's father-in-law. So it's uh, like I say, it's the only time we see this word, this name used. So if that was the case, then his mother was a Midianite and she would have been grafted into Yasharel. In verse 15 of this Torah portion we're in, we're told that the woman that Pinker smote was a Midianite as well. So therefore, I thought it could be as if he's putting that javelin through his past. The beliefs and the practices of his forefathers and any generational curses that may have befallen him because of his love and his zealousness for Yah and his word. Uh, and we must, so we must ensure that we have that same zealousness for Yah, that correct zealousness. And last Torah portion ended with the people sinning as they were about to enter into the land. And we must be careful to not think that we have made it. You know, I touched on this last week. We must be careful to not make sure that because we're living right today, tomorrow we, we can slack. You no, know, we need to, every day we need to pick up that cross. Every day we need to deny the flesh. Every day we need to walk in your word. First Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let them that thank, thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We see that that fall comes. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty ruach before a fall. And Matthew 26, 14, 41. And he came unto the Talmudim and found them asleep and said unto Kepha, What could you not watch me with one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. That Ruach indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to make sure that we are not falling asleep. We're not resting in the work that we're doing, but we're just continually fighting that battle every day. I don't know, you, that'll be something that you agree with as well, isn't it? Robert, that we've got to fight every day, fight <clears throat> to the flesh every day. Yeah, that is some strong teaching right there, Lee. Uh, that's a great way to look at that. And absolutely, every single morning, me and my wife, we pray. And we know that as we go out into the world, we have to stand tall and we have to stand strong or we will fall. Hmm. So, so absolutely, I love that. Uh, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty ruach before a fall. Isn't that the truth, Lee? I really appreciate you bringing that up this morning. And we, we all need to remember that on a daily basis for sure. No, we certainly do. These people could, like I said last week, they could see that promised land. They could see the land they were they were they had been promised. They'd been waiting 40 years to go to. But they but they slipped at the last moment. They 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 succumbed to that flesh, those fleshly desires and Say so we need to be ensuring every day that we are putting on that spiritual armor. Amen. Amen to that, brother. So now we'll start in Numbers 10, which is the beginning of this Torah portion. So 25, 10 and 11. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, let's get this up on the screen. Pinhak, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, has turned my wrath. Shabbat Shalom from the children of Yasharel, 
while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Yasharel in my jealousy. So we see that through this one act, the wrath of Yah was turned away and many were saved. And we can see a picture here of Yahusha and how through his one act, he saved us from death. And that crucifixion, that act, he saved us, First Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Mashiach Yahusha, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So we see how Yahusha saved us from that wrath of Yahuwah as well through his death, through his action. Shabbat Shalom, Heather. Thank you all for joining us. It's lovely to have you all with us. I'm trying my best to uh, keep on top. So if I, if I miss you, I do apologize. Yeah, but yeah, so we can see we can see here straight away a picture of Yahusha, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see quite a few pictures here of Yahusha, which I do I do love. So while we look at this verse eleven, we see while he was zealous, that word there is Hana, H seven O six five, to be zealous, jealous, envious. Then we see for my sake among them that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. So we see here that the word sake and jealousy are both the same word. They're both jealousy. So I just found that quite interesting that we see this word used predominantly three times here because uh, this jealousy, this hina, comes from hana. So we see this word and it made me uh, think of this scripture in Zechariah 8.2 where Yah is talking about that judgment to come. He says, thus says Yahweh Sevaot, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. And we just see that jealousness. We say jealousy, but it's it's because of his love that Yah has for us that he becomes jealous. He doesn't want to see us given over to sin. He doesn't want to see us um, going off after other idols and being adulterous against him. So he has that jealousy for us and now we talk about Pincus's zeal so zeal means to have a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective and these aren't my definitions they're definitions I got offline uh, zealous can be good when in accordance with Yah's word we, we can read that Yahusha was zealous Titus 2, 13 and 14, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great Elohim and our Savior, Yahusha Hamashiach, who gave himself for us, that we might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And Revelation 3, 19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase, chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. And we must be careful to get this right balance of zealousness. We need to not be too zealous that we go against Yah's character. I know we can see a lot of people maybe not walking correctly or, or doing what we believe is right, but we need to be careful that we don't go around and start bashing over the head with the, uh, with the scriptures. We need to find that right balance. Wouldn't you agree, Robert? Yeah, I laughing about that Lee because because so many of us want to go around bashing people over the head with the Bible and say why can't you see what we see why can't you see it the way we see it and you're right we have to be very careful of that we have to we have to know that yeah we want to walk in Yah's way and we want to please Yah 
but at the same time, everybody walks in a different way. You know, and Yah is speaking to everybody differently also. And that's something we don't talk about enough, is that Yah speaks to every one of us through the Ruach HaKadosh in a different manner. You know, he's not necessarily telling you the same things that he's telling me. And we have to remember that, that we, we it's not for us to understand what everybody else is doing. It's up to us just to love everybody the best that we can and ask for repentance. And then that way we don't go against Yah's character. Definitely. Amen. Everybody is different, like you said, and one message of fire and brimstone might work for someone, but for someone else, you might just be turning them away from Yah. You might just be driving them away from Yah. Absolutely. So need to be careful Absolutely. And if anybody is able to pick up that zephyr and lift it above their heads they will do some damage i tell you so you don't want to be doing that <laughs> i think it's huge right it's some size yeah it and i think they're getting bigger aren't they <laughs> no doubt so verse 12 and 13 wherefore say behold i give unto him my covenant of peace and he shall have it and his seed after him even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for the Elohim and made an atonement for the children of Yasharel. And I absolutely love this, this idea, this covenant of peace that Yah gives. Yah appreciates this act and this toll that it must have had in him. He had to take a lot, he had to take lives. Um, because he took lives to to stop this plague, to save people, he took lives, and that must have had a toll on him, on his Ruach. You know, he, I'm sure he didn't want to kill anybody. But Yah appreciates that. Yah's only gives him this covenant of peace. And we see the mercy of Yah to comfort us. Second Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be Elohim, even the father of our Adonai, Yahushua HaMashiach, the father of mercies and the Elohim of all comfort. We see that he, he really does want to bring us comfort. And there's going to be a few things we look at now at this covenant of peace, but there is, it's just so wonderful. I feel like. You know, you know, Lee, I'd touch on that real quick about numbers 25, 13, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood forever. Yeah. That's forever. He just gave the seed of, of this person peace forever a priesthood forever that's pretty amazing if you think about that yeah it is so one has to wonder when that happens will will the family automatically keep that priesthood forever i mean is it ingrained in their dna to be that priesthood forever. I asked that question because, you know, we change sides so often, you know, as human beings and things are so different today. So where has that priesthood ended up at today? It's just, a, yeah. it's, a, 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 it's a kind of a weird question, but if it's an interesting way to think about it in my brain anyway. No, it definitely is. And I think you could do some research into it and, and uh, I had it on another slide. I didn't put it in today, but you can actually, I think they trace this priesthood to the, to the Zadoks who then 
uh, it's believed that they then were the ones that were in the desert who who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. But interesting. But what I I tend to think with this as well that this is for all 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 of us this this covenant of of peace is is we are we are all it says that we will become priests when we, when we are with yah i just feel like this this covenant of peace is available to all of us who want it available to all of us that have that zealousness that heart for yah i feel like we can all attain this no, covenant of peace nice good point good point thank you for for no, clarifying that no you're welcome but i do believe that there is some um, this can be traced to the Zadok priesthood. Pincus can be traced through to the Zadoks. Uh, I think it's in in Chronicles you see it. Um, but like I said, I feel like this is all attainable for us that we can get that covenant of peace from your through our through our obedience and through that through that zealousness for him, that love for him. Isn't that good news? No, it certainly is. It certainly is. So. Again, we can see Yahusha in this act. It says that Pincus made an atonement for the people. And we know that Yahusha was that atonement made to save all of us that turn to him. First John 2, 2 says, and he is that propitiation, which when you look at that word in the Greek, it actually says as well, atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And Romans 3, 25 whom Elohim has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of Elohim. So again, we can see through this act, we can see, and again, this atonement, Yahusha in Pincus, which is uh, which I always love to see when, you, when you're going through uh, the Torah and you just see these pictures of Yahusha and, and what he did for us, I just think it's wonderful. Now, the covenant of peace. So in the ancient Hebrew text, the Vav in, in the word Shalom is actually, it's like broken. It's like cut in half. It's like they, they draw it. I haven't got a picture here. I have it on something else. But uh, they draw it, and then it's like a little broken line in it, like it's broken in between. And the Vav is actually believed to represent man, as it's the sixth letter of the Aleph Bet, and it's up, it stands upright. And man was created on the sixth day. So in this word shalom, we see the man of peace, because the, the, the letter for ma, the, the letter to represent man in the word peace is broken. Again, this is alluding to that man that is broken for the sake of a covenant of peace that will bring atonement for Yasharel, Isaiah 9 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor El Gabor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So again, we can see in this covenant of peace, we can see a picture again of Yahushua. And what is incredible is that this would have been written, written, this would have been written by those that would have denied Messiah. But we see here in this in this valve, we can see a picture of Yahushua. And it's just uh, it's just incredible all these pictures of Yahusha that we can see. That we can see. Uh, I did have a picture of this, but I'm a bit skeptical of putting things up for copyright purposes. So um, you just have to trust me on that. But it, it definitely it definitely does have it broken. But it, yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah! It, it truly is wonderful again. 
Now we'll look at the people who sinned. So verse 14 and 15. Now the name of the Yasherai that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Kalu, a prince chief, how prince of the chief house among the Shimonim. And the name of the Midianite woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was a head over a people and a chief house in Midian. So what's quite interesting before I, I talk about what I wrote there is that when we look at what happened in Shechem, it was Levi and Shimon that sinned, that got revenge on Dina for, for her defilement. And we see that that angered Jar, that action. So in a sense, this could be because Pincus was from Levi. This could be a redemptive act. You know, he's because he's slain Shimon, uh, the man from, from Shimon, he's he's redeeming himself for that defilement of Dina we see in uh, in Genesis. So when we look at these names, Zimri is H2174. I thought it was quite interesting, and it means my music or musical. Cosby is H3579, and it means my lie or false. Therefore, the music of these people is a lie, or they listen to false teachings, you could say. We are warned of these teachings that tickle the ears in 2 Timothy 4.3. And we see how large part, and today in our world, we can see how a large part of these places that have these false teachings, they use music. We, uh, we see a lot of it. I, I even seen someone, I seen a clip of someone saying the other day, I'm sure many of you have seen it, where he said, uh, Yar, but not by Yar's name, broke the law for love. And I, I, I found that I, I, I couldn't believe that he was actually saying that, saying that Yar broke the law. I just thought it was absolutely shocking. And, and these people, these teachers, these preachers in these big fancy churches that have millions of people watching them around the world, if not more, they're, they're giving people this false music. They're giving people these false teachings that they can live how they want. They can do what they want. They can be adulterous. They can do these, what the same things that these people were doing here with, with the, the daughters, the women of Midian, but we can't. And in Daniel, we actually see a connection of music with the bowing down to the statue. We see how they did not bow down. But when the music played, everybody was to bow down to the statue. And I just thought that was quite interesting as well. So let's carry on. So verse 16 to 18. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Vex the Midianim and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles. Wherefore they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. Now, what I found quite interesting with this, it does music. We need to be careful what, what we, we must guard our ears and guard our guard our eyes, certainly. And we must be careful what, what we are putting in to our ears, what we are putting into our eyes. We must remember that we are the temple now. We are that living temple for Yahweh, for Elohim. We need to be sure that we keep our temple undefiled. We keep it clean. And they were given certain certain rules they were given certain things that they were to make sure they didn't defile the temple with and we must be the same we must be 
guarded about what we put in our eyes, through our eyes, what we put into our ears, what we put into our mouths. We must be really guarded against it all. Hey, Lee, I had a question for you. Yes. So I, I was a little confused about where it says, which was slain in the day of the plague for pure sake. Now, I think you've already answered this, but just in case anybody else was confused like I was, are you saying that you believe that because the, where, where it mentions plague, it's very vague. But what is that plague? I couldn't understand what were they, what plague were they talking about? But you mentioned in the beginning that is talking about the sin of the people. Well, what I was saying is that, um, like, say if you're in a community and someone sins, that can then spread around like a plague. Um, I'm not sure specifically what this plague was that um, happened at the beginning of Numbers 25. But I, oh, I, couldn't sorry. Find, I couldn't find anywhere where it was being descriptive about, about the plague that they're talking about. I wondered, and it was just a thought that I had about if they if they're just mentioning plague like they are in this instance, could it be representative of the angel of death? The angel of death is the angel that works for Yah, that spreads the plagues when Yah says to do so. And we've seen that in Exodus. Do you think it could be representative of that? Uh, that's a very good point. I think it is. Like I say, there's no specifics mentioned of this plague, but we're told that 24,000 people died right. because of this plague. And we know that um, that that the children of Yasharel that weren't sinning did kill people, but you wouldn't think that they killed all 24,000. Wow. Um, so that's very, that's very interesting that. I never, to be honest, I, I never looked into it. I never thought about it. But like you say, we know in um, from Exodus how the angel of death comes, who brings the plagues, who kills the firstborn that doesn't have their door marked. And it's because of the command of Yah that that happens. Right. I mean, we, we, know, we know nothing happens without the command of Yah. We know that he commands his angels to do specific jobs. And so that's just why I had that thought. And, and I hope maybe somebody out there um, has studied this out more than I have, but I couldn't find anything. And I tried to study it out. And I really, I couldn't find anything for this particular passage. So I just wanted to, to bring that up because you it, it's interesting how you said that, how sin spreads like a plague mm. from person to person to person. It, it's a very interesting point. I, I really... I really appreciate you bringing that up like that. And so it could also relate to this. Now, if anybody has researched this out, please put in the comments and uh, let us know what you found out from this. Because it's it's something that I've probably looked over. I've not really um, researched it like you have. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, let's see, the word used for plague is nagaf. It is about the goring that Pincus did. So are you sorry, Rivka, are you saying then that that it's the, the people that died from the plague are the ones that Yasharel and Pincus killed? Just want to clarify that. But even if that's the case, um it's through their sin that led to their death. 
Yeah, yeah. we see see they sinned, they cut themselves off from Yah, and that resulted in death. As Romans 2 26, 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Right. So, like we say, we we're all trying to come together and find this truth out. Uh, trying trying to um trying to dig and trying to come together and find this truth of Yah's word and it's it's great. It's it's a great point to bring up, Robert. I definitely think it is one that we could keep digging into and look into during the week. Definitely. I'll just say one more thing, and I'll let you move on, Liam. Sorry to take up your time, but no, me say. a lot of stuff like this, when I see it in the scripture, and it's kind of vague, and a lot of people say, well, it's not a salvation issue, so let's just move on. And I don't agree with that. I believe everything is a salvation issue. And I believe there's a reason for everything in the scriptures. And so when I see stuff like this, that's kind of vague, it just kind of, it piques my interest as to, you know, is what are we missing there? Because Yah is always trying to tell us something with his word. Every, every word that is in the Bible has a meaning. And so, yeah, that's just kind of, that's kind of the way my brain thinks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. There's 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 not one word that should really be overlooked in scripture. And if it's there, it's there for a meaning a reason by Yah. And if, if there's something that's like say vague or out of place or doesn't quite make sense, it has a meaning. And everything in there is for our understanding, for our learning, for our teaching. So it is it is important that we try and get to the bottom of some of these vague issues, especially. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's a great thing that you've said there, Robert. Thank you for bringing that up. So, oh yeah, I'm still on this. Nearly skipped. So I just got to use two screens. So the word that's used here for beguiled is different to that that's used in Genesis 3.13. When I read this, I thought, oh, beguiled. What happened in the garden? But it's actually a different word. Here, it's H2 three, uh, H5230, Nachau, uh, primitive root to the fraud. That is to act treacherously, to beguile, to conspire, to deceive deal certainly and when we look at the word uh in genesis it is nasha which is h5377 and we see to lead astray that's to delude morally which is seduce beguile deceive so it is we see that there's actually a difference here and this word that's used i think it's only used four times in scripture this word that we see here in numbers and one of those times is used in Genesis 37, 18 with Yosef and his brothers. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And that word conspired is the same word that we see used here in Numbers. So it just made me think that Hasatan, the enemy, is always conspiring against Yah and his children. They will look to the frauders. We see that how Balaam couldn't, curse the people he had to conspire he had to come up with this this method to get the people to 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 sin to to curse themselves uh second corinthians 11 13 and 14 for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of mashiach and no marvel for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light so we must be aware and guarded that we are not defrauded into following after these false teachers and these fake religions of the world, as we just mentioned. Because Hasatan is, is always trying to, to get us to sin. He's always trying to defraud us. He's always trying to 
to manipulate, to corrupt Yah's word. So we must always be guarded against that. So now we begin chapter 26. And this is where we number the children of Yasharel. Now, I will be going through these. Uh, I'll be trying to read every every verse we have. However, we won't be going into great detail into some of this and the offerings because there's just so much there. But if anybody sees anything, anybody wants to comment, please put a comment in and we'll try to get to it. So this begins now, Numbers 26, 1 to 4. And it came to pass after the plague that Yahweh spoke unto Moshe and unto Eleazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, saying, Take the sum of the, all, all the assembly of the children of Yasharel from 20 years old and upward throughout the, their children's father. Throughout their father's house, all that are able to go to war in Yasharel, and Moshe and Eleazar, the high the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Yarden near Jericho, saying, Take the sum of the people from twenty years old upwards, as Yahweh commanded Moshe and the children of Yasharel, which went forth out of the land of Mitzrayim. So we see here that Yah commands him to count all the men that are ready for war. And this this was originally done in in the second year of the wilderness, we see it earlier on in Numbers. And there's two reasons why this is done, so or could be done. Uh, so it's it could be done so they know how many children they how many men they have ready for war as they're about to enter into the land. And the the we know in we're gonna have a war coming up in a bit, and then we know with Joshua in the book of Joshua, it's it's all about going and conquering the land. And also it's We'll read at the end of this chapter how they divide the land up and how they're going to divide the land for an inheritance to the tribe. So they want to know how the size of each tribe, how big each tribe is. So that's what we'll be looking at now. So we see that this numbering process began in Numbers 1 and 2. It says, And Yahweh was spoken to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the assembly, on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they came out of the land of Mitzrayim, saying, Take ye the sum of all the children of Yasharel. So, we'll be comparing the numbers that they had at the beginning of their journey and the numbers that they've got now for each tribe. And we know that those that have less numbers, those numbers that have decreased, it will be through sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wage of sin is death, but the gift of Elohim is eternal life. So when we compare these numbers, it'll give us an understanding and an idea of which tribes were obedient and faithful and which tribes had that rebellious spirit in them, which tribes sinned and whose numbers didn't grow but actually decreased. So verse 5 to 11. Reuben, the eldest son of Yasharel, the children of Reuben, Hanok, of whom comes the family of Hanokim, of Palu, the family of the Pulim, of Chetron, the family of the Chetronim, of Kamri, the family of the Hamarim. These are the families of Reuvenim. They that were numbered out of them were 40 and 3,730. These are the sons of Palu, Eliav, and the sons of Eliav, Nuamul, and Dathan, and Avram. That is the Dathan and Avram that were famous in the assembly who strove against Moshe and against Aharon in the company of Korath when they strove against Yahweh. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korath when the company died. What time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign, notwithstanding the children of Korath died not. So that was in Numbers 
2016 where that happened. So we can see here before when we look at the numbers in in uh, beginner numbers, we see that they had 46,500. Here now they have 43,730. So we see a decrease of 2,770. So we see that they sinned. And as we're told in it, Dathan and Avaram were that from the line of Reuben, who saw, we saw rebel in number 16. These people weren't happy that Reuben had lost the birthright. They weren't happy that they, they didn't have that, the authority in their camp, but they weren't the leaders. Um, and they rebelled against that, along with Koref, who rebelled against the priestly line and his position in the in the priest, priesthood. And verse 11 states that the children of Korak died not, so therefore it would appear that they did not take place in this rebellion. So, now, we're going to the next tribe. The sons of Shimon, after their families of, now I'm going to be trying my best to pronounce all these, of Numnu. <laughs> I was laughing at Kath last night when she was saying some uh, words in our in our study, and then I was like, "Oh, I've got so much to say tomorrow. <laughs> I've got so many names to go through. I shouldn't. I should have kept quiet." So the family of the Numanim of Yamin, the family of the Yamanim of Yachim, the family of the Yachinim of Zerach, the family of the Zerachim of Shul, the family of the Shulim. These are the families of Shimeon, twenty and two, twenty and two thousand two hundred. I love the Sefer. I, I do love the Sefer. I love having the name in there, but it it makes it very hard getting used to saying these Hebrew names and Hebrew places. It really does. So we see here that these before, it, it definitely will. That Ruach Kajalisi will lead you astray. And we need to be careful. As we were speaking about it last week, Shell, we need to always be careful because that heart will lead us astray. We need to be make sure we're living in the Ruach and not the flesh. Uh, so before they had 59,300, but after they had 22,200, we see a massive de decrease here of 37,100. Um, and as we just mentioned, that Zimri was from the tribe of Shimon, who Pincus killed. So we can see there that it's possible that these 24,000 that, that died may have possibly been the majority from, from the tribe of Shimon. But yeah, what, that's a massive decrease there. And I think that is the biggest decrease out of all the tribes. But we can see how this, this shows us how that sin and death are related. The children of Gad after their families of Zephon, the family of the Zephonim, of Haggai, the family of the Haganim, of Shuni, the family of the Shunim, of Osni, the family of the Osnim, of Iri, the family of the Ivarim, of Arod, the family of the Adarim, of Arili, the family of the Arilim. These are the families of the children of Gad, according to those that were numbered of them, 40,500. So in Gad, we see that before they had 45,650, after they had 40,500, so we see a decrease of 5,150. So it would appear that these sinned as well. So now our first increase, it would appear. So the sons of Yahuda were Ur and Onan. And Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Yahuda, after their families, were of Shelach, the family of the Shelaim of Peretz, the family of the Patzim of Zerach, the family of the Zachrim. And the sons of Peretz were Chetzron, 
from the family of the Ketanim, of Shamu, the family of the Shemalim. These are the families of Yehuda, according to those that were numbered of them. Three score and 16,500. So here we see before they had 74,600 and afterwards they had 76,500. So we actually see an increase here of 1,900. So we could... It's, we could see that they possibly they were more obedient than the other tribes at the moment, and they were blessed for it. So the sons of Yishakar, after their families, are Tola, the family of the Tolaim of Pua, the family of the Punim of Yashiv, the family of the Yashavim of Shimron, the family of the Shimarim. These are the families of Yishakar, according to those that were numbered of them. Three score and four. Three score and four thousand and three hundred. So here we see another increase. Before they were fifty-four thousand four hundred, and after they were sixty-four thousand three hundred. So we see this increase of nine thousand nine hundred. So it's quite a big increase there at the moment. And you don't really re hear of this time in the in the wilderness of these other tribes. You just hear mainly of the ones that were rebellious. We see in Reuben. Uh, Reuben and the, the Shimonim, and we see with Korath as well. Of the sons of Zebulim, after their families of Karad, the family of the Kardim of Elon, the family of the Elohim of Yechleel, the family of the Yechleem. These are the families of the Zovalim, according to those that were numbered of them. Three score thousand and five hundred. So again, we have another increase here. Before they were 57,400, and after 60,500. So we see an increase of 3,100. So they were obedient. They, these were obedient. Yes, and we do see since, as we spoke before, since spreads like a disease, and it's good reason why we should be set apart from those people. It's, I think Rivka said it last week in the comments. We are to be in the world, but not to be part of the world. We need to be with people enough that we are showing yours truth, yours love, but we need to make sure that we are not letting any of that wickedness, any of that sinfulness penetrate our ruach and come into our being. We need to really be guarded every day. So verse 28 to 32. These are the sons of Yosef after their families, Manasseh and Ephraim. Of the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of Machirim, and Machir begat Gilad, and Gilad came the family of the Giladim, these are the sons of Gilad, of Aizer, the family of the Aizarim, of Shelech, the family of the Shelechim, and of Asaril, the family of the Ashalim, and of Shechem, the family of the Shechemim, and the Shemedeh, the family of the Shedarim, and of Sefer, the family of the Sepharim. And uh, Sephalachad, the son of Sefer, had no sons but daughters, and the names of the daughters of Zechalad were Machla and Noah and Kagla, Milcha and Titsa, And these it's very important that they name these because these will be coming up in the in the next chapter, these daughters. So these are the families of Manashe, and they were numbered of them, 52,700. So we can see this huge increase here of 20,500. Thank you very much, Shelley. It's it, these. This chapter is a lot of just reading, not much to say. Um, but we can see how whether they were obedient or whether they were rebellious um, through these numberings. So yeah, we see here an increase of twenty thousand five hundred 
So we see that Manashe did be obedient and yeah. Hey, Lee, if you don't mind me saying, I have to agree with my wife on this one. I, I've never seen it quite put this way. I think you did a fantastic job of doing this. It, it is very interesting. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Robert. It's very, uh, it can be a bit time consuming typing it up and a bit like, it seem a bit boring, but it is very good when you see it like this and you can just, you can see that difference in it from, from the beginning in the wilderness to the end. And we know that everybody in that time in the wilderness perished except for um, Caleb and Joshua, uh, Yahusha. However, we see whether the tribes were fruitful or were they still sinful in their ways. Yeah, awesome way to, to present it. Really, really great. Oh, thank you very much. And you're, you're not going to be talking tonight, are you, after saying all these words? Uh, God, I think I'm going to, be, uh, going to be spent, I think, after this. <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> doing great that's why i've got my water i need my water a bit to keep me going doing an awesome job oh, thank you very much so now ephraim now this is quite interesting now so these are the sons of ephraim after their families uh, shulach the family of the shulachim of Bechor, the family of the bechrim of chachan the family of the techaim and these are the sons of shulach of iran the family of the eranim these are the families of the son of Ephraim, according to these that were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Yosef after their family. So we actually see that before Ephraim had 40,500, but after they had 32,500, and we see a decrease of 8,000. And I thought that was quite interesting because I would associate them with being similar to Manasseh. So when you see Manasseh have that large growth, I would have, um, I assumed, I think, that. Oh, they they'll be similar. They they would have uh, been obedient as well, but 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 clearly not. We see this. Um... Oh, thank you very much, Rivka. Thank you. No, it, it isn't. You can get lost in the word as well. It, it truly is. It's such a blessing for us to have this and to have the ease uh, and the freedom to just spend looking at scripture as long as we want. It is, it is a blessing. But yeah, I just found this quite interesting that we see that Ephraim did sin, and um, I just assumed that being Yosef's children, Manasseh and Ephraim would be similar, but clearly we see a stark difference here with Manasseh and Ephraim. And there might be something prophetically about that, which I haven't looked into, but I'm sure someone will. So who's next then? Let's. So the sons of Benjamin, after their families of Bela, the family of the Balim, and of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelim, of Acharim, the family of the Akrim of Sheplafam, the family of the Sheflaim, of Huham, the family of the Huplahim, and the sons of Bela were Ard and Nam of Ard, the family of the Ardim and of Naman, the family of the Namain. These are the sons of Benjamin after their families, and they that were numbered of them were fourteen five thousand and six hundred. So again, we see here that Benjamin was blessed. We see an increase of ten thousand two hundred from. 35,400 to 45,600. So we see that these were obedient and were blessed. No, it, it certainly isn't. And I'm, I'm sure I can hear my family downstairs watching this, laughing at me, trying to pronounce these names. I can do what Catherine does in there. Catherine gives up sometimes when she's trying to say, and she's just like, yeah, oh, you can read it yourself. That person. It's, it's uh, 
I think we. I think I need a lesson in how to to read these names. So these are the sons of Dan after their families of Shuzim, the family of the Shumanim. These are the families of Dan after their families. All the families of the Shuzimim, according to those that were numbered of them, were three score and four thousand and four hundred. So we see a, a slight increase again. So before they had sixty-two thousand seven hundred. And after they had 64,400 to this increase of 1,700. Now Asher. And the, of the children of Asher, after their families, of Yimna, the family of the Yemenim, of Yitzvai, the family of the Yitvanim, of Bereah, the family of the Bereim, of the sons of Bereah, of Chavah, the family of the Karaim, of Milkiel, the family of the Mikalim, And the name of the daughters of Asher was Serach. These are the families of the sons of Asher, according to those that were numbered of them, 40 and 3,400, no, 50 and 3,400. So before, 41,500, and after we see 53,400, so we see an increase there of 11,900. And now Neftali, the sons of Neftali, after their families of Yetzel, the family of the Yechanim, of Guni, the family of the Gunim, of Yetzer, the family of the Yitzarim, of Shilam, the family of the Shelaim. These are the families of Neptali, according to their families. And they were numbered of them 45,400. So before they had 53,400, and after they had 54,400, so we see a decrease here of 8,000. So I'm just reading Riff because there is a belief that Ephraim tried to go into the land. So it might be why. It certainly could be. It certainly could be that they. They went against Yar and they went in before. It could possibly be that. There, there was something. There's so much time that's not accounted for in this wilderness, in this time in the wilderness, um, and we just don't know what happened. But here we can get a slight picture of the behavior of these tribes. And it, it does baffle the mind sometimes for the, to think that these people seeing these miracles, these people were led through the sea of reeds with the water either side. And they were told these stories if they didn't grow up with that. And, and the water from the rock, the bread, every day they were getting bread from heaven and and some still strayed. It, it's, it's completely baffling how, how people could do that, but we know that they did. We know that they did. And it just, just shows you now that it's about having, it's for us it's about having that faith and, not having to see it to believe it, because even these people that saw it didn't believe. They were still led astray. So in 51, it says, these were the number of the children of Yasharel, 600,000 and 1,730. So before, it's 603,550, and after, it's 601,730. So we see a decrease of 1,820. So... There's not much of a change you know, in their size in their size throughout the time in the wilderness. So we see that Yah did sustain them and provided for them and maintained their number. So they were still a large number. So even though there was a slight uh, a slight loss, it wasn't catastrophic, shall we say. And we see that there were many tribes that didn't sin that 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 kept that that grew in number. It certainly is shall just just being fed without bread coming from heaven, I, I like I say, like I said before, it just just baffles the mind really to to think that you could uh, stray away.
So now we see it, it tells us why they were numbered. So verse 52 to 56. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Unto these the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. Too many shall you give the more inheritance, and the few shall give less inheritance. To everyone shall his inheritance be given according to those that were numbered of him. Notwithstanding, the land shall be divided by lot according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. They shall inherit according to the lot shall the possession therefore be divided between many and few. So we see this fairness now of Yah. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us. It's lovely to see you. Um, so we see this fairness of Yah and dividing the land according to their size. And we see that he will repay us according to our works. Romans 2, 6 says, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So we do see that the fairness of Yah here in, in giving people the land according to their number. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes we need to we need to search for these truths ourselves, really. We need to try and find it ourselves because many times people when they're in church and they try and ask questions. They don't have an answer for you. They don't want to talk about these things. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they, they would have. So these people that would have sinned then, they would have got a smaller land than what they were probably originally entitled to. And if you think if, if, if those that sinned just before, we see 24,000 died just before. So it could have all been from Shimeon or it could be from other, other tribes and those other tribes could have actually have have increased increased up until that time. We don't know specifically who those people were that died with that plague. They could have increased and and through that one act they could have decreased and been given into a smaller, smaller land. It's very interesting. Oh, more reading. So now uh, it is the tribe of Levi that are numbered. And we see that these are done afterwards because they do not get an inheritance. So 57 to 62. And these are the families that were numbered of the Levim after their families of Gershon, the family of the Gershonim, of Korach, the family of the Korahim, and of Marei, the family of the Marein. These are the families of the Levim and the family of the Livnim, of the family of Shebnaim, and the family of Machilim, the family of Mushilim, the family of Kochrim, and Korach begat Amran. And the name of Amram's woman was Yochaved, the daughter of Levi, who her mother bore to Levi in Mitzrayim, and she bore unto Amram, Aharon, and Moshe, and Miriam, his, their sister. And unto Aharon was born Nadva, and Avua, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and Nadav, and Avu died when they were offering strange fire before Yahuwah. And these were they that numbered of them were 20 and 3,000, all males from a month, old and upward for they were not numbered among the children of Yasharal because there was no inheritance given among the children of Yasharal. So we see that the tribe of Levi were not numbered and they were to be separate from the other tribes. And this is because their inheritance was to be Yah. We see this in Deuteronomy 10.9. Wherefore Levi has no part nor inheritance with his brethren. Yahweh's inheritance according as Yahweh al Haker promised him. And we'll see this when they divide up the land, how there'd be Certain cities scattered amongst where the Levi would be. They wouldn't necessarily have their own land. So before, we see there were 20, 22,000 and after 23,000. So an increase of just 1,000, but still an increase 
to show us that they were obedient and blessed. And I think this is the end of this chapter. These are they that were numbered by Moshe and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Yasharel in the plains of Moab by the Yardon near Jericho. But among these was not a man of whom Moshe and Aharon the priest numbered when they numbered the children of Yasharel in the wilderness of Sinai. For Yahweh has said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them, save Caleb and the son of Yephunah and Yahushah the son of Nun. So we, as we spoke of before, it was only Caleb and Yahushah were counted in both they were because it is because of that evil report that was brought in numbers 14 when the spies were sent out the 12 spies were sent out for 40 days and when they returned it was only these two that were not scared that had faith in yah to deliver them we read numbers 14 29 your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which you murmured against we see that evil report that these 10 fat 10 spies brought caused the whole camp to murmur murmur against Yah to question Yah they we are like grasshoppers in their eyes they said and they were they were frightened to go into that land they didn't have that faith in Yah and we see like we were talking about the sin and how plague spread this murmuring this discontentment this dissatisfaction this unbelief in Yah spread around those people through these reports so we must be really careful what we say must be careful what we listen to and, and just what we spread around the people we know. So now we get into numbers 27. I don't know if there's anything you want to say, Robert, on the numbering or anything. Well, I don't, something had just hit me. Could you go back one? Yeah, just one, isn't it? This one? So in, in Numbers 14 and 21, it says, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which had murmured against me. So that means that only from 20 years old and upward are going to die in the wilderness, and then all the ages below that will survive. Yeah, I, I think that's how, that's how I'm reading it, Lee. So, if that's the case, when they start numbering all the tribes, it's from 20 years old and upward is all that they have numbered the tribes. So, could we say that if something happens and that particular tribe starts to murmur against Yah, that 20 years old and upwards? will fall but 20 years and younger will not fall it, I'm, I'm trying to I, i've always tried to figure out the number why they start at 20 years old and upward you know why why did why is it that that's where the number starts well i don't know if we can figure out why it's 20 but it's interesting that below that will not fall so is it fair to say he never smites the entire tribe? There's always something left. Oh, maybe maybe yeah. to repent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be those that you said that were below 20 that would have seen what happened to these as well. And you'd think that that would really help them know that Yah was, was true from what he said. They would have seen how these people were told they were going to perish in the wilderness and they did. 
I say there could be those that are 19, 18, those that are under that age of 20. And it is interesting, like I said, why was 20 the cutoff point? I know it was because they were to send, because um, it was when they were ready for war. Right. I, I see that's what Shell's saying. A number of the warriors, men of age ready to be warriors. Uh, it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just making too much of it. It's just a, just a, a question. Remnant is like what Rivka is saying. The remnant, it's it very interesting. I think it's very interesting that that 20 years old is chosen. You know, we're told they try to tell people what from the age of 16, or you can be an adult in some place. You know, and and really, we're not we're not ready at that age really to be an adult. I know my dad entered the army at the age of 16. You know, it's it's it, it's they're not we're not really ready. So again, we see that wisdom of Yar by saying 20 yeah. years old. 20 years old is is the age when you should be ready for war. But I think that's a very interesting point to 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 bring up. Like I said, I've never looked into that as well. So I think it's great that you've brought that up. Again, I've never, I've never yeah. thought about that there would have been that remnant left over. That that remnant, right. Yeah, I think that's a, a very, very good point. Yeah, yeah, that's something to think about with the remnant. Because otherwise... You know, there there has to be something left. I mean, you, you know, there there's always twelve tribes, right? Is that I, I believe that's correct to say? And so, you, you, I don't know, I don't know. Something to think about. I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, that's great. Anything you feel like throwing out there, just throw it out. That's what this is all about. It's all about us. You know, people in the comments, us two here, whoever's on, is just whatever you're thinking, whatever. You know, we're just coming to you, Ruach, wherever you, you know, just, just speak it, just speak it. There's, there's nothing wrong that can be said here. And, and, and when we're looking for these truths, when we're trying to, you know, help each other find the truth, no one, there's no, and we'll see actually in the next few slides, there's no, there's no question. There's no silly question or pointless question or anything. That's actually going to be in the next few slides. We're going to, we're going to be talking about that. So it's quite interesting that you've brought a question saying that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what. Catherine, yeah, Catherine said that as well. She believes that the hundred forty-four thousand are only those that are twenty years and upwards. So, you know, we have the women and the children that aren't numbered in that. So the 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 number, the size of that would be be a lot larger than one hundred forty-four thousand. So thank you uh, for that, Catherine. Very good point. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, you don't think of that when you when you read that. You just think of the. Just 144,000 right. people. You don't think of the, like these, that's what Catherine just said, or these verses that we're looking at here in regards to that. Well, it's like you said, Lee, that's why I like to throw this stuff out there too, because everybody has such has awesome thoughts about all that. It's, it's really a great learning experience. No, it definitely is. Excellent. Now we'll have to have a look at that, Rivka. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your comments. So now we're in Numbers 27.1. So then came the daughters of Zephalah, the son of Sephir, the son of Gilad, the son of Milcah, and the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Yosef. And these are the names of the daughters. So these are the ones that we mentioned previously. Machla, Noah, Chagla, and Milcha, and Tertzah, 
And they stood before Moshe and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes of all the assembly by the door of the tabernacle of the assembly, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against Yahweh in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away with from among this family, his family? Because he has no sons. Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moshe brought the case before Yahweh. So we see that this, this difficult question was brought up. And, you know, their father had died and had no sons. And they wished not to lose this inheritance. And we see the humbleness of Moshe. He was not sure how to address it. He didn't know the answer. He didn't know what to say. So he takes it to Yah. And that's a, that's really something that we need to have and need to be living by daily. If, we, if we're faced with something difficult that we don't know how to address, we need to really go to Yah with that. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in El Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of Elohim that gives to all men liberally, liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. So we see here Moshe, he goes to Yah to try find an answer for this question. And not just that, Lee, and I don't mind bringing it up that those were some really strong women. That they stood up for themselves and said, hey, what about us? It's not our fault. Yeah. Why should why should our inheritance be given away to somebody? We should have the opportunity for that inheritance to ourselves. And I and I love that passage that that the daughters spoke up, went to Moshe and and brought their case to him, and then went to Yah, and and then brought the case to Yah. I just I, I'm married to a strong woman, and I'm and I am thankful to Yah for that. And I think it's very important to bring that point out. Oh, definitely. I, I, I understand your feelings as well. And I, I love it as well because we're told how, you know, the Bible, how it suppresses women. And I'm going to go into some bits here. And especially next week, we're going to see things that it's not about suppressing women at all. Scripture, it's just how people read it and interpret it. And if they look at it properly, they'll see that that is not actually the case. And like you said, there are strong women in the Bible. And, and Moshe listens to them. You know, they stand up, like I said, in front of all these people. They go to the high priest and they go to Moshe. Moshe, who's led them, who led them out of Mitzrayim. And, you know, that must have been intimidating. I don't even know if I could go up to Moshe and ask him a question. <laughs> and, you know, and like I say, these women come up to him and they say, well, well, this ain't fair. We've done nothing wrong. Where's our inheritance? Yep. And it's, it's a great point to bring up. Absolutely. So verse 6 and 7, and Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, the daughters of Zechalad speak right. You shall surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and you shall and you shall cause the inheritance of their fathers to pass unto them. So Yahweh agrees, and we see the fairness of Yah and equality. And like I just said, we're told that Yah isn't about being equal between men and women. It was a wonderful comment, Robert. I thank you for bringing it up and Shell's very happy with you as well. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have a good afternoon. <laughs> so we see, um, like I say, Yah is all about fairness and equality, and 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 people misinterpret stuff. They they manipulate stuff, and and people, men, use it for their own gain and to suppress women. But that is not 
what is used and what is said in scripture. Um, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Yahudi nor Yavani, neither is there bond nor free, neither is there male nor female, but all are one in Yahushua HaMashiach. We see we're all one, we're all equal, we're on, on that same playing field. And just because men and women have different roles, it's not because one's higher than the other, we're all equal. First Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that one body being many are, are, are one body, also Mashiach. And Genesis 1, 27, we read, so Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him, male and female, he created he them. We see that equality. We see that, you know, they've created and we see it together. We see, so we see Yah and he's, he's all about this equality. He's all about fairness. And we see it in, in this question that's brought forth. So verse 8 to 11. And you shall speak unto the children of Yashua, saying, If a man die and have no son, he shall cause inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And he have no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. If he have no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his fathers have no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance unto his kinsmen that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be unto the children of Yashua a statue of judgment, as Yahweh commanded Moshe. So through these daughters bringing this question, we actually have an important law established. So we, like we said, if you have anything that you need to, to say, you stand up and say, you say it, because we see in this question that these women brought forth that we have an actual law established through it. You see the importance of it. So verse 12 to 14, and Yahweh said unto Moshe, get ye up into the Mount Avarim and see the land which I give unto you, the children of Yasharel. And when you have seen it, you shall also be gathered unto your people as Aharon, your brother, was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of sin, in the strife of the assembly to sanctify me at the water before their eye. That is the water of Meredith in Kadesh in the wilderness of sin. So we see here this compassion of Yah. And although Moshe was not allowed to enter into the land because of his sin, because of that act in striking that rock the second time when he was told to speak to it, he is actually allowed, though, to come and see the promised land. He's able to look over the mountain and to look at the promised land, which is just a lovely, just a lovely side of Yah you see all the time. You see this mercy, this compassion. And he promises him a peaceful death. He wasn't suffering. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't in pain. It was just a peaceful death, the same as Aharon. And it was just to come to pass so that the people could enter into the land. So now Yah is to appoint Yahusha or Joshua over the people instead of Moshe. Now, in both of these, we can see pictures of Yahusha. In his first coming, he was like Moshe. He was being humble. He was compassionate. He was the walking Torah. He was fulfilling that Deuteronomy 18.18 prophecy where it said, I will send a prophet like unto, you, unto me. But at his second coming, he will lead us in battle and into the promised land. See in Revelations 19.13 and 14. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of Elohim. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, linen, white and clean. So I love when we see these pictures, when we see Moshe and, and Yahushua, Joshua, I, I just see 
Yahusha and both of them and his comings and both of them, you know, the first coming, he, he was humble. He was, you know, he just, he preached the word and he was, had compassionate, like Moshe, Moshe, every time the people sinned, he had compassion on them. He prayed for them. But then when we get into the book of Joshua, we see how Joshua leads them into battle, who he leads them into that promised land and he defeats the enemies. And I see that with Yahusha when he's, he comes and he, he leads us in to the millennial kingdom and then into new Jerusalem. I can just see that picture in both of these, these leaders, both prophetic, both a picture of the future of Yahusha. That's quite interesting. So numbers 15 to 17. And Moshe spoke unto El Yahuwah saying, let Yahuwah, the El of the Ruach of all flesh, set a man over the assembly which may go out before them and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the assembly of Yahuwah be not a sheep with no shepherd. So again, we just see this beautiful humbleness of Moshe. He's, he's being replaced, but instead of, you know, sorrowing and being, you know, complaining about it, he, he, he's thinking about what will be best for the people. He wants a righteous man to lead them. We just see this love, this, this humbleness that he has. And again, we can see a reference to a shepherd. And again, Yahusha and Yahusha said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. So I, do, I just love this picture of Moshe here. He's about to be replaced. He's told, all right, you're not ready to die, but get up on that mountain and die. And we're going to, you know, going to put you to sleep so everybody can go in the promised land. And he's not bitter about it. He's just, he's just wanting what's best for his people, the people that he's cared for for 40 years. He just wants what's best for them, and I just love that. Just, again, just a picture of Yah and just his mercy. And Yahusha, how he gave his life for, his, for the people as well. So there's so many pictures in these. I just, I just, just love it. Hey, Lee. Yeah. Can you imagine what Moshe must be thinking to himself on a on a daily basis about what Yah is doing with him. I mean, wow, saving the people out of out of Mitzurim and going through the desert for forty years and seeing everything that he saw and speaking to Yah personally. I mean, you know that Moshe was had to be the most humbled man. That just like you were pointing out that when it finally came to the end of his life. How could he not just say, I'm good. I have seen everything I need to see. I mean, you know, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. I tried to, though. No, I know. It's, to, to try and put yourself in his shoes is just. Wow. You, you had to constantly rebelling against you, constantly complaining about you, constantly murmuring against you, coming to you all the time yeah. with their problems and. He's just humble about it. He drops to his knees and he, he just prays to Yah all the time. And it's 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 a wonderful picture on how we should be living our lives when we see in Moshe and this this, uh, this humbleness that he has. Ah, uh, good point, Lee. But man, that's the point of the day right there, Lee. That is that's beautiful, really. When we, we see it as well when um when Yah first come to him, he's like, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do this. But you know, I'm sure there's many of us at the moment that are maybe starting ministry, starting teachings online, starting studies online. And, and we thought that we couldn't do this. I know months ago, if you told me I would have been doing this and talking for several hours on the Sabbath online, I would have told you. Very funny. Yeah, you as well, Robert. And But you see, 
Yar gives us that 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 calmness, that peace. He gives us that strength as well to do it. And like I spoke to you before, the show that you did on Wednesday was such a blessing, and it was just it was just wonderful. And and to think that's maybe what your only second or third time on camera, and your first time by yourself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just just wonderful. That's awesome. You certainly did, Shell. Yeah, you had that real shepherd heart, that heart that Yahusha has. I say that we should all be striving for. Yeah. He will be. He will be our rear guard. He goes before us and he's always with us. We just need to always have that that belief. So thank you very much, Rivka. They do. You gotta be careful. We do, we all we all fight it, don't we? We all fight the shepherd sometimes. We need to be careful. So Numbers 18, 20 to 23. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Take Yahushua, the son of Nun, the man whom is the Ruach, and lay your hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the assembly, and give him a charge in your in their sight. And you shall put some of your honor upon him, that all the assembly of the children of Yahshua may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Umri before Yahweh at his word shall they go out and at his word shall they come in both he and all the children of Yashorel with him even all the assembly and Moshe did as Yahweh commanded him and he took Yahushua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the assembly and he laid his hands upon him and gave him charge as Yahweh commanded by the hand of Moshe and what we see some interesting things now in these exchanges in this passage so Moshe is now to pass the Ruach and honor onto Yahusha and anointing him as the new leader and we see that Yah commands him to put one hand on the people but we see in that last verse he uses both hands so it could appear that he was imparting like a fullness of his Ruach upon him giving him a double portion or a blessing in doing this and it could also be that he knew how rebellious the people could be and how difficult they could be yeah. so, you know, he doesn't need the one hand he needs both hands on him he needs that full full blessing there and we see him acting in that selfless love as Yahweh that we spoke of before First Peter's 3 8 finally be all one minded having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful be courteous and Jeremiah 31 3 Yahweh has appeared of old unto me saying yea I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore your loving kindness have I drawn you and we need to really have that this compassion this love that Moshe had that Yah has that Yahushua has towards our brethren so the next two chapters then we are um, just checking the time so the next two chapters are set out the offerings that are acceptable to Yahuwah. Now it's interesting. What's interesting is then that last week in the previous Torah portion, we had two chapters where Balaam was making offerings to Yah that were not acceptable. And in this Torah portion, Yah is saying, right, this is what's to be done. These are the offerings that I'm to have, and these are when they are to be done. So I found that quite interesting. I didn't actually notice that point until this week when I was going over it, that last week we have Balaam trying to offer to y'all and here he says no these are the offerings that are to be done and we all know that yahusha was the fit the final physical sacrifice for us first john 2 2 which we spoke about at the beginning he is that propitiation atonement for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world 
So we know that we are not to be doing physical sacrifices now and that our offerings are actually through our praise and worship. And we have many scriptures here for it. So Psalm 69.30, I will praise the name of Elohim with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall praise also shall praise Yahweh better than an ox or a bullock that has horns and hooves. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to Elohim continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hosea 14, 2. Take with you words and turn to El Yahweh, saying to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. And I love that one from Hosea, the calves of our lips, the offerings, the calves which be the offerings, now the offerings are to come from our mouth. And that's in Hosea as well. First Peter 2, 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Elohim by Yahushua HaMashiach. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Elohim, which is your reasonable service. So we know that we are to be given these offerings and we'd be given this worship and praise continually to you and it's 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 not physical sacrifices that are now required. Yahushua did that and did away with that, with the ultimate sacrifice. Now, I want to talk about kings um, and and the other scriptures after this. So I think I'm going to try and read quick, if that's okay with you, Robert. Yeah, go ahead, Lee. Yeah, so I, I know that we all know that in each one of these Moedims, we can see Yahushua. We can see him. We can see it in the sacrifices and the offerings. We can see everything with his, with his first coming and with his second coming, how he will fulfill all of these. And But what I think we'll do is because they certainly do, they certainly do, they, they rise as incense pleasing to him. So what I think is the best thing to do is when we get closer to a Moedim, that's coming up, we'll do separate videos maybe just on the offerings alone because... I hadn't looked at the offerings until this year when I looked at Shavuot. Um, and there's so much in them. There is so much in them. So for the majority of these, we're just going to read over. And like I said, when we get to them, the Moedim's coming up, we'll go into them in greater detail. Uh, because like I said, I said to Robert before we started, you could do hours and hours on each one. And, um, and we just don't have time for that, unfortunately. So... Numbers 28, continue now. So verse 1 onwards. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Command the children of Yashorel, saying to them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire, for a sweet savour unto me, shall you guard to offer me unto their appointed time. And you shall say unto them, This is my offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto Yahweh two lambs of the first year, without spot, day by day, for a continual ascending smoke offering. The one lamb shall you offer in the morning, and the other shall you offer at evening. And a tenth part of an ephah of flour for an oblation mingled with the flour, with the fourth part of a hint of beaten oil. It is a continual ascending smoke offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savour, a sacrifice made by fire into Yahweh. But we see here we can just say that we, as our prayers are our worshippers are offering now, we should be doing it daily. Yeah, I think we all agree on that. Continued now. And the drink offering thereof shall be a fourth part of a hen for one lamb. In the holy place shall you cause the strong wine to be poured into Yahweh for a drink offering. And the other lamb shall you offer at evening as the oblation of the morning. And as a drink offering thereof, you shall offer it a sacrifice made by flour, flour, fire of a sweet savour unto Yahweh. 
we get into the Sabbath offerings. And on the Sabbath, two lambs of the first year without spot, tenth and two tenth deals of flour for an oblation mingled with oil and the drink offerings thereof. This is the ascending smoke offering of every Shabbat beside the continual ascending smoke offering and the drink offerings. So they're to have monthly offerings. Read this in verses 11 to 15. Beginning of your month, you shall offer an ascending smoke offering unto Yahweh two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot, and the three tenths of the flour for an oblation mingled with oil for one bullock, and two tenth deals of flour for an oblation mingled with oil for one ram, and a several tenth deal of flour mingled with oil for an oblation unto one lamb for an ascending smoke offering for a sweet savour, a sacrifice made by fire unto Yahweh. And their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine unto a bullock, and the third part of the hen unto a ram, and the fourth part of the hen unto a lamb. This the ascending smoke offering of every month throughout the month of the year. And one kid of the goat for a sin offering unto Yahweh shall be offered beside the continual ascending smoke offering and his drink offering. So Pesach. And in the 14th day of the first month is the Pesach of Yahweh. In the 15th day of the 10th month is the feast. Seven days shall matzah be eaten. In the first day shall be holy assembly. You shall do no manner of Sarai work therein, but you shall offer a sacrifice made by fire for ascending, ascending smoke offering unto Yahweh. Two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs of the first year, they shall be unto you without blemish. And their oblation shall be flour mingled with oil. Three tenth deals shall you offer one bullock and two tenth deals for a ram. A several tenth deal shall you offer for every lamb throughout the seven lambs and a one goat for a sin offering to make an atonement for you. You shall offer these beside the ascending smoke offering in the morning, which is for a continual ascending smoke offering. After this manner, you shall offer daily throughout the seven days the meat of the sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savour unto Yahweh. It shall be offered beside the continual ascending smoke offering and of his drink offering. And on seventh day, you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no servile work. Shavuot now. And in the day of Bikor, when you bring a renewed oblation unto Yahweh in your Shavuot, you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no servile work. But you shall offer an ascending smoke offering for a sweet savour unto Yahweh. Two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, and their oblation of flour mingled with oil, ten, three temp deals unto one bullock, two temp deals unto one ram, several temp deals unto one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid of the goats to make an atonement for you. You shall offer them beside the continual ascending smoke offering and his oblation. They shall be unto you without blemish and their drink offerings. Now we get into Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no servile work. It is Yom Teruah unto you. And you shall offer an ascending smoke offering for a sweet savour unto Yahweh. One young bullock, one ram, seven lambs in the first year without blemish. And their oblation shall be flour mingled with oil, three tenth deals for a bullock and two tenth deals for a ram, and one tenth deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs, and one kid for the goats for a sin offering to make an atonement for you besides the ascending smoke offering of the month and his oblation, the daily ascending smoke offering and his oblation and their drink offerings according to their manner for a sweet savour, sacrifice made by fire and to Yahweh. Yom Kippur and you shall... Have on the tenth day of this seventh month a holy assembly. You shall afflict your souls. You shall do no work thereof. But you shall offer an ascending smoke offering to Yahweh for a sweet, sweet savour. One young bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, and you shall be unto you without blemish. And their oblation shall be flour mingled with oil. Three tenth deals 
of up to a bullock and two temp deals and one ram. Several temp deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs. One kill of the goats for a sin offering. Besides the sin offering, an atonement of the continual ascending smoke offerings and the oblation of it and their drink offerings. Now, the Feast of Sukkot, there's quite a lot to say on the Feast of Sukkot because they have a certain number of bullocks and that each day. It's, it's quite a lot. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no serve our work. You shall keep a feast of Yahweh seven days. You shall offer an ascending smoke offering, a sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savour unto Yahweh, 13 young bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year, and you shall be without blemish. And the oblation shall be a flour mingled with oil, three temp deals unto every bullock, and the 13 bullocks, two temp deals to each ram of the two rams, and a several temp deal to each lamb of the 14 lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering beside the continual ascending smoke offering, his oblation, his drink offering. On the second day, you shall offer 12 young bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without spot, and their oblation and their drink offering for the bullocks, for the rams, for the lambs shall be according to their number after their manner. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering, besides the continual ascending smoke offerings and the oblation thereof and their drink offerings. On the third day, 11 bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year without blemish, and their oblation and their drink offerings for the bullocks and for their rams and for their lambs shall be according to their number after their manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual ascending offering of his oblation, his drink. On the fourth day, ten bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. The oblation of their drink offering for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number, according to their manner. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering beside the continual ascending smoke offering, his oblation, and his drink offering. There must have been so much sacrifice during the Feast of Sukkot. Yeah. And, and on the fifth day, nine bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without spot, and their oblation and their drink offerings of the bullocks and the rams shall be for the lambs and shall be according to their number after their manner. One goat for a sin offering beside the continual sending smoke offering and his oblation and his drink offering. On the sixth day, eight bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without blemish, and their oblation and their drink offering for the bullocks, for the rams and for the lambs shall be according to their number after their manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual sending smoke offering his oblation, his drink offering. And on the seventh day, seven bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without blemish, and their oblation and their drink offering for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after their manner. One goat for a sin offering beside the continuous sending smoke offering, his oblation, his drink offering. And on the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no serve our work therein, but you shall offer an ascending smoke offering, a sacrifice made by fire, a sweet savour unto Yahweh. One bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish. Their oblation and their drink offerings for the bullock, for the ram and for the lambs shall be according to their number after their manner. One go with sin offering beside the continual sending smoke offering and his oblation, his drink offering. These things you shall do unto Yahweh in the set feast besides your vows, your free will offerings, your ascending smoke offerings of peace, your oblations, your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. Now, the only one I'm going to look at is the Feast of Sukkot, because it's just something quite interesting I came across. Um, I just think it's really interesting. So when we look at the total number of bullocks offered at Sukkot, when you add them all up, it's 70. And 70 is a number that I've been uh, looking at a few times in Scripture, because I believe that 70 is the number that represents the other nations. I believe uh, when we look at the list of names given in Genesis 10, with... Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we see that 70 names that are listed all together. Yeah, all the, all the names 
in Genesis 10, we talk about the sons, it's 70 altogether. And then when Yahushua sends out 70 disciples, it's to go out and preach to the world. We see this. So first he sends out the 12 to go to the house of Israel, Yasharel. And then in Luke 10, 1, we read, After these things, Adonai appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, wherever he himself would come. So I believe that 70 represents the nations. And when we see as well, we see um, we see those 12 wells and the 70 palm trees. I believe that the wells represent Israel. The water coming from it is Yahusha, Yah, and how that that water, the disciples, Yasharel, that water, the word of Yah will then go and feed the other nations, the, those palm trees. So when I see 70, I believe that it's representing of the nations. And when we think at Mount Sinai in Genesis 32, when they made the golden calf, they worship that. So I believe that sacrificing these bullocks is representative of the destruction of all the nations and their idols. Yeah. And, and who they put their trust in, who they, who their gods are. So through sacrificing these, it's uh, like represents symbolic of doing away with all the other false gods, the false idols and uh, the false worship. And it's just a, just a point of, I, I thought I'd mention of that out of all the feasts. I thought I'll just mention this. Interesting. So I just thought, cause we, we see how, you know, especially in Mitzrayim, they would worship bulls and, and the, the bull at the ox, that's like the leader. We know Aleph is the, the ox, the bull and it's Yah. So I, just, I thought that it's possible that these could be representing them. And, and also some people believe like, Prophetically, that Jesus Sukkot could be the time when Yahusha has tabernacle when he comes again the second time, and we tabernacle with him in the millennial kingdom. Therefore, that'll be the time of the tribulation. I just thought it's possible that this could just be representative and just a picture of these other nations' idols being done away with. Yeah, it's interesting. Lee. very interesting point. Thanks, Robert. So that's the only thing I was going to mention with all of these. Because, like I said, would be here for an extra hour or two going through them. So then, this is the la the end then of of Numbers Torah portion, and it's twenty nine forty and thirty verse one. And Moshe told the children of Yisrael according to all that Yahweh commanded Moshe. And Moshe spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Yisrael, saying, "This is the thing that Yahweh has commanded." So we end this portion with the feasts and the offerings that were to take place. And although we are not to do the sacrifices now it's still important that we keep these feasts as they are a picture of yahusha colossians 2 16 and 17 says let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a feast day or in a new moon or in sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come for the body of mashiach and i know some people maybe try to paint that as oh we're we're not to be judged on no things we don't need to keep the sabbaths we don't need to keep the feast days it doesn't matter what we drink but it's not saying that what i believe it's saying is you know, don't let anybody judge you for keeping those things. You know, you know, we get judged all the time for keeping the Sabbath, for for keeping the feast, for for not wanting to do the eat the unclean meats. And and what I think that this is saying is, well, don't let them judge you for it because these are all a picture of Mashiach. And it just shows the importance that they are that they have. So that is the end of numbers. So our first so we will go into the half Torah because we've got, I don't want to go on for too long. So 
I think we should try to get this in and then we'll have a look to see if we have time to look at um might just be Johokan in the in the in the better because um I know Marcus is quite there's so much in Marcus it's quite long. So we'll get into first Kings. So first Kings eighteen forty six onwards. And the hand of Yahweh was on Eliyahu, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahav to the entrance of Yitzrael. And Ahav told Isabel all that Eliyahu had done, and with all, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Isabel sent a messenger into Eliyahu, saying, So let the Elohim do to me, and more also, if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Yehuda, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Yahweh, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And we see that he had just slain, he had just done that miracle at Mount Carmel, he just you know, proved those prophets of Baal wrong and, and, and killed them. But we see now how he's in despair. He's just done Yah's marvellous work. But much like Pincus, that burden of killing people are taking its toll on him. I believe he's he's in that despair. He's and he's 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 asking for death both physically and he's mentally exhausted. And I know we can all get to that point where we just feel like giving up. Especially, it can be difficult walking in this walk, and especially if you're walking in it alone and you don't have the the support of family members and and brethren close to you. This can really, really put you down. But we're told in Isaiah forty twenty nine, he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. In Second Corinthians four sixteen, for which cause we not faint, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So we just. Eliyahu here, you know, even the best of us, even those that, you know, our yards prophets have these moments of despair and it should be reassuring for us that we all get them, but we need to make sure that we, we trust in Yah to help us through them. Well, that's our renewal. That's, yeah. that's the only renewal that we have. And that I love the, that passage for which cause we faint not. But though an outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And it is only through Yah. Only, only through only through that covenant on a daily basis that we can be renewed. We can't do it. We, we can't wake up and tell ourselves that we're going to have a great day. We can only have a great day through Yah, not through us. Amen. Amen. Well said. So we continue now, verse 5 to 7. And as he lay and slept under a uniper tree, beheld, then an angel touched him and sent him, Arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of Yahweh came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So we see that Yah sends this angel to comfort him, much like pink, Looks like Pincus and the covenant of Shalom that you are given. He is given this. Um, he sends his angel to help him. And amen, Robert. Well said that word. He did. He, he did. He 
did have a point. Moshe, as we spoke about before, he had his breaking point as well, where he thought he couldn't go on. But it's like you said, it's through Yah that we, we come to Yah in prayer and he renews our Ruach. We, it's not about the flesh. It's not about this outward man. It's about what's inward, that Ruach. Oh, thank you, Heather. And there is so much we could probably go into in this in Kings, but it's just, you know, time does prevent us sometimes. Sorry, Robert, were you going to say something then? Did I cut you off? Nope. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, First Kings, and he arose, 19.8, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meal 40 days and 40 nights and took care of the Mount of Elohim. Yeah, it certainly is, Heather. It's such a blessing. I know it's been a blessing to me and my wife, Catherine, and, and, and all the people we've met through this. We do, we just thank you so much. We praise you all for it every day. This, this fellowship and this community is just wonderful. So what I'm just going to focus on here is, is 40 days. If you hadn't noticed by now, I'm a bit of a, a numbers geek. I like the numbers. And when I see numbers in scripture, I do, I do lean towards them and I do like to look at them. So throughout scripture, there are many events that take place where we see 40-day periods. Yeah. And we'll have a look at these now. And they are associated with times of testing and tribulation so the first one i don't know if i've done these all in chronological order it certainly is rivka it, it certainly is that cool water on a hot day praise you hallelujah so the first one so during the flood it rained for 40 days and 40 nights we know moshe was on the mount sinai for 40 days moshe's life can be divided into three separate periods of 40 so I know I'm saying days, but also years. You know, we, we have that prophecy where a year for a day when um, I believe Ezekiel was the line aside. Um, the spies went out to search the land for 40 days. And because of that and the bad report, Yashua wandered the wilderness for 40 days, all very testing times. Goliath actually challenges Israel, Yasharel for 40 days before David accepts the challenge. He's there challenging them for 40 days. Yahushua will go into the wilderness for 40 days as well. And after 40 years, we see Moshe appoint Yahushua to replace him. So we see a 40-year difference there. So I, I believe that these 40 days, 40-year periods are a time of testing and tribulation. And if we were to look at these 40 years between Moshe and, Yahu, and Yahushua, Joshua, and we were to, to change them for... Uh, jubilees, you know, uh, a, a day for a, a year for a 50 year period, then we'd get 2,000 years. And I believe that it's after 2,000 years that Yahushua will return, you know, between his first coming and his second coming. So that's just so good to want to put out there. Obviously, we, no one knows a day or time, and we shouldn't be trying to guess when he's going to come. But I believe that it's possible that those 40 years, it could represent when he comes back after 2,000 years. We, we certainly do, Rivka, and it's such a blessing to have the ability for us to, to have the internet, to, to have this, this platform to be able to, to, to speak to each other. It truly is a blessing. So, yeah, so I, um, I do like to look at the, the periods that I just thought it's quite interesting, this 40-day period. I thought it was quite interesting. And we see how Moshe as well, when he was up on the mountain, he had no water, he had no food. Eliyahu now goes 40 days without food, and we see Yahushua 
would just wander the wilderness for 40 days without food either. No, I know. Yeah, look for... I, amen. Amen. We look forward to all being gathered together by Yahusha and be able to meet each other person in person, to embrace each other, you know, to put that arm around each other. And uh, that's what I can't wait for, to always be standing side by side. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Rivka. I haven't looked at that, but I might have to have a look at that. Um, I might have to have a look at that because, yeah, I do. I uh, Before I came into this walk, I did think I wanted to be a high school math teacher. And I did uh, I did spend some time in, in schools doing it. So I do have an affinity for numbers, bit of a bit of a geek like that, um, like maths and like numbers. But I didn't like high school kids, I'll tell you that. I didn't, And I'm glad I got out of high school after how the world's going. But yeah, so if you watch any of my things, you'll see that I do jump into a bit into numbers quite a bit. So we continue now. And he came hither into a cave and lodged there and beheld the word of Yahweh came unto him and he said unto him, what do you do here, Eliyahu? And he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh Elohai Sevaot and for the children of Yasharel, for the children of Yasharel have forsaken the covenant, thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am only left. And they seek my life to take it away. So again, we could see this correlation with, with Pincus and with Eliyahu, how he was zealous for for Yah, how he, he did this act and slayed these people for Yah. And we can see that this toll that it's taken on him. And the word jealous is the same as the word zeal for Pincus. And it's actually used twice here, which is quite interesting. It's uh, I think it says it, jealous, jealous. And it has that word zeal, zeal, to just, just, just emphasize how much he was. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh passes by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces and the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire... A small, a still small voice. And I know that this is something that Shell uh, spoke on last week on Let's Talk Torah. And it's, um, it's a very, very uh, important message, really. So Yah wasn't speaking to Eliyahu in the craziness, but it was when all was calm that he came and spoke to him. And we must ensure that we are calm from all the craziness that's going on in our lives and the world around us. And we listen to Yah and what he has to say to us. We must make sure that we are coming to Yah and just really just trying to, to listen to that voice. That's a, that's a great point, Lee. Uh, he put that, that we must be calm in all the craziness around us so that we can hear what Yah has to say to us. That's that's awesome. That That is a wonderful lesson, one of, one of the wonderful lessons to learn today. To remain calm and listen to that small, still voice. It's so difficult to do sometimes, but so important for us to to teach ourselves how to do that. So that it, it, I believe it be I believe it can become natural, uh, just a way for us to live. I mean, if we keep practicing to do that, keep trying to listen for that small, still voice. You know, instead of the craziness that comes at us all the time. Oh, certainly it is. 
And yeah, we need that shalom, don't we? The highest form of warfare, in my in, in Shell's opinion. We do. We need to be at shalom. We need to be at peace. We need that calmness. Yeah, because the adversary wants us to be crazy. Certainly does. Yeah, Hasatan wants us to not hear that small, still voice. Hasatan wants us to hear the craziness that's all around us. That's 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 a weapon against us. And when we we are still and listen to Yah, that's our weapon against Hasatan. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he's all the time he's creating us, trying to distract us, trying to draw us away from Yah. Like you say, we need that calmness. We need to be in that shalom, that peace. Remember, Yahusha calm those those storms, and we need Yahusha to calm that storm around us so we can truly focus on the word. Amen. Amen. So important. So we'll continue now. We'll see the word that Yah gave to Eliyahu. And it, came, and it was so when Eliyahu heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice into him. And he said, what do you do here, Eliyahu? Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you again. Thank you for joining us last night. It was a pleasure to have you there. And thank you again. And definitely between the river and the ravens, we must be still. Uh, verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh because the children of Yashorel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And Yahweh said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Shazael to be king over Aram. And Yahweh, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Yasharel, so that's Yahu, that's Jehu, and Elisha, the son of Safat of Abel, Machalath, shall you anoint to be your prophet in your room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Shazarel shall, shall Yahu slay, and him that escapes from the sword of Yahu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Yasharel, all the knees which have not bowed down unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So we see that your instruction on what to do and and when we're in those moments of despair and distress and we feel like we have no direction, it's Yah that leads us. And I know I've already said this proverb today, but it's one that we really should have to heart. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in El Yahweh with all your, own, with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Thank you, Eileen. Thank you. I'm sorry if it's a bit much, uh, if it's too in-depth, but I thank you all for just sticking with us. So Eliyahu must have felt alone. Uh, he was the, he believed that he was the only prophet left. He believed that he was all by himself. But we see that Yarish reassures him and assures him that he's not. There are more. There are more there that have not bowed down, that have not kissed the image of, of bowed down to Baal and, and kissed that image. And and sometimes we need that. Sometimes, like I say, we can be alone. Sometimes we don't have the family we have. Sometimes we have family that don't walk with us and we can feel alone, but you're not. No one is alone. We are all here together. And even though we might be different parts of the world, we're still here for you. We're still here for you. Um, I just think that's a very important message there, that Yard does have children all over the world and Yah is bringing them together and he's shown us that the world is a very small place it's not as big as we thought it's very small 
And you don't know if you, some of these groups, I know we've got a telegram group, um, um, a tele, telegram, telegraph, uh, um, I don't know the name, uh, but we do have a group there. I know Catherine's laughing at me now. Uh, <laughs> and I tell you what, it's been such a blessing for me. Um, such a blessing for me, these groups, because uh, I'm not one for, for messaging and, and, uh, and speaking to people, but, you know, it's been it's been great, and there's some people on there that that need that fellowship. So, if you can, um, I think if you go on the Facebook groups, you'll you'll find um, links to them and that. And I'm sure there's people in the chat that can help direct you to them, which they they truly are a blessing, and it's great that you know through Shell and through the other people behind the scenes, we're trying to just bring bring the body back together, and I think it's what's needed. So Kings 19 to 21. I think this is the last night. This is the end of Kings. So, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Zaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12 and Eliahu passed him by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Eliahu and said, let me, I pray you kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said unto him, go back again. For what have I done to you? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them. And bored their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Eliyahu. Telegram. So it was right first. Um, <laughs> and ministered unto him. Do you know, you just say a word, it didn't sound right. That's just how it was. So I've been looking into this with this week, and in this little chapter of Kings, there's so much we could go into, but obviously we don't have the time to. So I was researching it, and it was saying he was he cast his mantle towards uh, Elisha, Eliyahu cast it, and it was inviting him to come follow him and later take his position. Um, and the mantle was a garment or a robe, and it is believed that prophets wore specific garments. So if a prophet walked by, you would have been able to tell that they were a prophet from what they wore. Zechariah 13, 4 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed everyone his vision. He shall pros when he prophesies, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive so it's talking there about this garment they wear and we we hear of it with Yehokanan uh, the immerser you know John the Baptist in Mark 1 6 it says and Yehokanan was clothed with camel's hair and with a belt of skin about his loins and he did eat of the locust and wild honey and it's this um this garment was believed so when he he cast this at him when Eliyahu cast this at him he would have known what this actually meant and who he was and what's quite interesting is that from what we read it would appear that elisha's family were very wealthy we, we read they had they had 12 pairs of oxen there so they had 24 oxen um they were plowing the field however and if he was the eldest son this would have been his inheritance this would have been all his but we read that he doesn't hesitate but follows eliyahu with with zeal he 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 Go straight after him. And he's prepared to give up all his riches of his family. Uh, and that is what we should really have. We should be ready to give up everything. And it was really cemented and symbolized through him killing his oxen. We read that he kills the oxen. So I believe it's the oxen that he was plowing the field with. He killed. He made that feast for his parents. And, and sometimes when we read this, we think that is, is Eliyahu being a bit funny with him? He's a bit, oh no, just come with me. Don't go back to your family. But it doesn't say that, and he understands, you know, 
you need to go, you need to say goodbye, and he comes. It's different to when Yahusha says, uh, follow me, and he say, we need to bury our father, and he says, let the dead bury, let the dead bury, bury the dead. It's a bit different here because that was Yahusha himself calling us. Here it's a bit different, and um, and we see that Elisha really he was he was he was wealthy, and he was prepared to give up everything, to give up everything, and to follow Eliyahu, to follow Yah, and that is really how we should be living our lives. I know you touched on this the other day, so I just think it was meant to be you on today because you touched on this on on, on giving stuff up. Matthew nineteen twenty one says Yahusha said unto him. If you'll be perfect, go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you shall have the what and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And I know you spoke about this the other day. We should be prepared to give everything up. If we lose all this material, if we lose everything here in the physical, it doesn't matter because what we have really is is your. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that real quick, just real quick. That there was a point where Yah told me and Shell that it was time to go. And we didn't hesitate to have a yard sale, and we put every single material thing that we owned up for sale, and we sold it, and we left. <laughs> we've done that, and we've done it more than once, and we'll do it again. We'll do it again, no doubt. Because well, every time after that, we've been blessed even more. And and so when Yah wants to take away, let him. And then when Yah wants to bless you, let him. That's that's the moral of that story. Hallelujah. What what strength and what faith you had in being able to do that. It truly is such a testament that, that you didn't hesitate and you just did it. And like you say, like Job, he lost everything, but he gained twice as much. And you say yeah. you gave up, you sold everything, you followed Yah, and he provided for you, and he blessed you afterwards. So really, amen. Such a such a lovely message there. Thank you very much for sharing that, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, didn't realize I had this other slide. So Elisha would uh, later take the place of Eliyahu when he was gathered uh, to be with Yahweh. We see Elijah, Eliyahu didn't die. He was taken up. Again, we can see similarities with Moshe and Yahusha. And... Um, no, you certainly cannot. Well said. We cannot. We must make sure that we are not coveting after what's in this world and placing that before you are. He certainly is. Well said, Shell. So like I said, again, we see these similarities with Moshe and Yahusha. And Elisha, Elisha means El is salvation. And Yahusha means Yahweh is salvation. So it's great we can see this link again with the Torah portion. We see how how. Uh, Moshe was handing over to was preparing Yahusha to take over, and here we see Eliyahu was pre preparing uh, Elisha to take over. We see the similarities in the names, and another link we can have to Moshe and Eliyahu is at the Transfiguration. You know, Matthew seventeen three says, "And behold, there appeared unto them Moshe and Eliyahu talking with them." We see at that that Transfiguration how they say it was Moshe and Eliyahu there. So. It's just a, another link to tie the two Torah portions together, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. So we don't have, well, we're going on quite a long time. So I'll quickly just go through uh, John and then we'll call it an end for today. If that's okay with you, Robert. Sounds greatly. Yeah. Um, so you're hoping. And so I know um, a lot of us go off the Sefer, um, but I found as well that there, there are different uh, 
lesser uh, portions. So I, what I'm going to try to do is put them both up each week, and then depending on time, would depend on what we get to, because um, we've been on for over two hours now, and um, and I've had to hold stuff back as well. <laughs> I yeah. can't believe it, but yeah, but um, so yeah, so obviously it, 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 we can't be on all day as much as it's a joy, but we we can't. So we'll just look at your Hokanen. So John two thirteen to seventeen here, and the Pesach of Yahweh. Uh, which the Yahudim observed was at hand, and Yahushua went into Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changes of money sitting. Oh, thank you very much, Eileen. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money change, the changes money, and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And the Talmudim remembered that it was written, the zeal of the house has eaten me up. So we can straight away, we can see that link with um, with Pincus, uh, with this this zealousness, this zeal. Um, we see Yahushua driving out those that were doing acts that were contrary to Yah and defiling his temple. Like we see uh, Pincus um, stop those that were defiling his temple. And it's from Psalm 98 where it says, the uh, Psalm 69 where it says that um, his Talmudim remembered. And this is just the, a few verses from it. Um, verse 7 to 9, it says, Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproach of them that reproached you are fallen upon me. And again, we can see these links to Pincus, to Eliyahu, how um, they felt like they were you know, a stranger, how they felt like, you know, they were in despair. And we can just see that. We see Yahushua wasn't recognized among his brethren. He, they treated him like a stranger. They didn't accept him, you know, those in Yasharel at the time. So I just thought it'd be quite interesting just to put that, uh, those verses from that psalm up that was spoken of. And then I believe this is just the last few verses of that portion that answered the Yahudim and said unto him, What sign show you unto us, seeing that you do these things? And Yahushua said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said they, Yahudim, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and you will not rear it up in three days. But he spoke of the body of his, the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his Talmudim remembered that he said unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Yahushua had said unto them. So again, we see a we see a, a prophecy there from Yahushua. So finally, we see Yahushua referring to his death and his resurrection that was to come, and this is the beginning of his ministry. We see him prophesying of the time of the end, and what is interesting is that we have another another time when he returns into Jerusalem. I think when he has that triumphant entry entry into Jerusalem at the end of his ministry. He does a similar thing. He comes in and he cleans out the temple. He he turns over the tables and he he kicks them out again as well. Um, and similarly again to Pincus and Eliyahu, they were in a pit of despair, but Yahweh would lift them out and give them comfort. And I just wanted to end with Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently. Oh, let me just try and get this up so I can see it. Oh. Oh, I don't know what I've done here. I've lost my mouse. 
all the way to the end, and now I've lost my mouth. <laughs> yeah. I waited patiently for Yahweh, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my going. And I just thought that was quite a good way to end it, because that is what we see with Pincus and Eliyahu. They were both in these moments of despair. They were in these times where they felt alone and probably would have felt like death was the best result for them. But but Yahweh lifts us out of that pit. We put our trust in Yah. He will lift us out. He will place us on that solid rock, that rock of Yahusha. And he, was, he will just fill us with his covenant of Shalom. So I hope you all enjoyed that today. I thank you all for sticking with us. I hope it was a blessing to you. Uh, Robert, do you have anything to say? Wade, thank you so much for having me today. That was an awesome presentation. Fantastic job. All that reading you did, all of your notes. Uh, you really helped me out a lot today, and I thank you so much for every, all the hard work you put into it. And I just want to thank everybody for uh, hanging with us for over two hours. Yeah, who knew that a couple guys would talk for over two hours, right? I know. I'm not about sport. You would have thought we'd have been going for this long. Yeah, it's, it, really, it hasn't felt like two hours, really. When you're in the Word, the time does just fly. It really does when, you, when you're in that Word. I thank you so much for joining us. I thank you all for joining us. It really has been a, a blessing. So I just want to end then with just telling you a few things that are coming up. I did have notes, but I seem to have misplaced them. So I'll try and remember. So if I forget anything, I do apologize. But uh, tomorrow on Heart of the Tribe at 9.30 EST and 10 a.m. EST, you'll have Shell Wagner, who will be um, beginning with Mercy Port Forth. And then at 10 a.m., she will be bringing you Let's, uh, Let's Talk Torah, which will be a, a short glimpse at this week's Torah portion, which is uh, begins tomorrow. It's Matol and Masai. It's a double Torah portion. Uh, tribes and journeys so please check into that uh, on monday oh no thank you all for joining us thank you very much on monday uh, they'll be walking in the word no that's on tuesday is it tuesday tuesday you have walking in the word with shell wagner with with our wife shell wagner and Catherine hood who will be joined by lee carruthers they will be on at 6 p.m uk time 1 uh, p.m est That'll be on Heart of the Tribes channel. I think it'll be streaming on Blood of the Land Ministries, and it might also be streaming on um, Between the River and the Ravens uh, YouTube channel. So check it out on any of them. They'll be talking about boundaries, and and it was lovely what they did last week. It was a beautiful, um, a beautiful presentation they give. Really enjoyed it. So if you can watch that, as we spoke at the beginning on Monday. At 3 p.m. EST, Lee and James Carruthers from Between the River and the Ravens will be speaking with Shell on Heart of the Tribes YouTube channel. Uh, on Wednesday, Chris McIntyre, I think you've seen in the comments today, he'll be with Shell um, where they'll be talking about his new show or, or doing his new show. That'll be at 1 p.m. EST, uh, 6 p.m. UK time. So that'll be on Heart of the Tribe YouTube channel. So please check that out. On Thursday, I'm really looking forward to this. We have Between the River and the Ravens, um, which is James and Lee Carruthers' new channel. Like I said, they've been in the comments today. Um, they do have such wisdom and knowledge, um, so please uh, check them out. That will be 
I wrote the time. If someone can put the time in the comments, please, because I did have the time and I can't remember. I want to say, I want to say 3 p.m., but I'm not sure. 3 p.m. EST, I want to say it, but I'm not sure. That'll be streaming through their YouTube channel and through Heart of the Tribe's YouTube channel. Um, if you go to Heart of the Tribe or if you go to Blood and Lamb Ministries YouTube channel, there'll be links to their YouTube channel on the channel section. So go on there. So go. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, that, that's about right. Yeah, always do it. Always do it. So um, uh, check out. Uh, please subscribe to their channel as well. Um, I'm looking forward to what they're bringing. It's going to be great. There, there are so many new things. Uh, do a whole presentation on just the new things that are coming. Um, every day, uh, uh, near enough every day, there's going to be a more mercy poured forth at 9.30 EST. So um, check on Heart of the Tribe for them because they are really a great way to start your day in America. It's 4 p.m. EST. I was close. I was close. I said 3, 4. 4 p.m. EST, 9 p.m. UK time. Um, but Mercy Port Forth is a great way to start the day. It's it's great for me before I go to work. It just it's such powerful because um, it's in the afternoon for us. It's such powerful, uplifting, wonderful words being put forth there. So please uh, subscribe and watch them. If you enjoy these Torah portions on my on the mine and my wife Catherine's Blood and Lamb Ministries channel on YouTube, we have a what's called Journey Through the Torah. And at the moment, I'm currently working from Genesis all the way through um where i'll be doing a line by line study similar to this and it's broken up into sections so it's not two two hours and 15 minutes each time for you to have to sit and listen to so um so if you enjoy it please check them out so i i thank you all for joining us it's been true blessing it really has i hope i haven't forgot anything else um so i think if there's anything else you want to say uh robert or i will end in prayer shabbat shalom shabbat shalom lovely our father our abbey our yahweh father we come to you in yahushua's name we come to you on this most wonderful blessed day your sabbath day your day we get to cut ourselves off from the world and just dwell in your word and in your truth and we just hope that you dwell with us father we ask that you come into each one of your children's homes and fill it with your love and your shalom fill it with blessings fill it with knowledge and wisdom father father we pray for people that maybe walking alone, we ask that you heal them. We ask that you heal all your children, both physically, spiritually, and mentally. We ask that you be with them. Father, we ask that you give them that covenant of shalom that is promised. Help us all be zealous for you. Help us be seeking your word and your truth and not the world. Father, we ask for that covenant of shalom for all your children that are struggling at the moment with depression, with anxiety, with all these mental and physical afflictions that may be plaguing them father we just ask that you heal them we ask that you restore them you renew them you renew their ruach make their cup overflow with your word and your love father father i thank you for this opportunity and this platform to be able to speak and fellowship with our children with your children and our brethren i thank you for it father and i just ask that all those people that are in that pit of despair all those people that are asking for death all those people that feel lost and alone that you be with them come for them father be their rock lift them out of their pit lift them out of that hole place them on a solid rock and just give them that shalom that love and that comfort and father i just ask this in and through the name of your son yahushua amen amen
And I forgot to do it last week, so I'm going to end with a shofar blow. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Robert. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Shabbat shalom. And I haven't got the video ready. Shabbat shalom. Goodbye. That's not it. There it is.